This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, I'm Monica Robbins. Thank you so much for checking out Health Yeah, your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness info. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can get a weekly dose of some timely health topics. This episode focuses on mental health, a topic we can all learn from, but seeking mental help in communities of color is often a taboo subject. According to Mental Health America, more than 13% of Americans identify as Black or African American. And last year, 16% reported a mental health issue. That's more than 7 million people. But studies show Black and Hispanic people are less likely to seek help, but more likely to need inpatient services. Cleveland Clinic psychologist Shavana Childs wants to change the mindset, especially in a time of pandemic stress and the anxiety that comes with racial tensions and all the news coverage dealing with those issues. How difficult is it for a person of color and are they being impacted by by mental health just because of the strains of racial relations? It's very difficult, first of all, for everyone right now. We're living in something that we have never had to experience in our lives. And right now, it seems as if the world is on fire. There's this perfect storm of racial injustice, discrimination at its highest, racism, you know, overtly being experienced for people of color of, you know, all races. And then again, we have the pandemic. So we have higher rates of anxiety. We have higher rates of depression, stress. There are higher rates of suicide. We're experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. All of this is hitting the community, but again, in African-American communities, it is at a much higher level, as well as for Hispanics and women. So what do we do? How do we combat this? How do we help people deal with this anxiety? The way to deal with it is, first of all, recognizing what it is. You know, sometimes we don't know what anxiety is. We'll just say, oh, I've been worried a lot or, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. And you'll say, well, are you, do you have anxiety? And they'll say, no. So we just need to know that there are different terms for it. You know, people will say, you know, I'm not been depressed, but I've been really sad for the past couple of weeks. That's a sign and symptom of depression, not eating well, sleeping, oversleeping, sleeping too much, um, anxiety, being hypervigilant, being startled easily, being worried, having this doom and gloom sit over you and not know where it's coming from or why. So those are all signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression. And it, it can be hard to internalize. And like you said, you know, sometimes we feel like we can take it all, we can do it all, I'll just keep smiling, but on the inside we're dying. And so we need to be able to create safe spaces and places for people to talk about their emotions and know that it is okay. You know, most cultures have this stigma around mental health. You know, we don't air our dirty laundry. We don't talk to outsiders. We'll just keep it in the family. Well, sometimes keeping it in the family is killing the family line. And by that, I mean passing on mental health issues from one generation to the next mental health, that trauma can be a generational thing. And we have to know where to stop and step in and break that cycle. And part of breaking the cycle is reaching out to a trusted loved one, our pastors, our rabbis, whoever that is for us, a friend. And if it's not that person, if we feel that that is not enough, there are plenty of mental health professionals out here that this is what we are equipped to do. 
we're equipped to help people cope in various ways. All the news coverage going on right now, especially with you know the George Floyd case and everything else that's going on, how is that having an impact on people? I think that we are seeing something that we always knew was there, but now it's out front, it's personal. Um, for people of color, particularly in the African-American community, this has been something that has been going on for generations. This is not a new thing, but it's more so in the limelight, so to speak. And so we're being forced, all of us, to deal with this. And that can be hurtful on both ends because you know people want justice, they want fairness, they want more than equality, they want equity. They want to be treated the same. They want to have the same opportunities to do the same thing. And so with that, we need to start having what I like to call intentional conversations. Conversations intentional about speaking about race, speaking about injustice, knowing the information, knowing where we stand, and the ability to have a conversation that doesn't become volatile. The ability to agree to disagree or take another's perspective, be able to step back and as much as you can walk in their shoes to listen to what that experience is like. Because my experience in the world is very different from your experience in the world. So for example, we talk about this being invisible. And when I explain it to a Caucasian person, they're like, no, I've never had that experience. I don't know what that's like, blah, blah but it's the experience of being the only person of color in a room in a meeting and you have equal status to everybody there or, or maybe less than maybe your boss is in the room. They're all having a conversation, but nobody's looking at you. There's no eye contact with you. Yes, I'm talking and they're looking around the room, but nobody connects with you. Our eyes are how we let someone know we are listening. It's how we let somebody know that what you're saying is important to me. So if I don't have contact, yes, I'm included because I'm in the room, but you haven't acknowledged me. And it can be a really defeating feeling to be in that space or to be in a space where you present an idea and they're just like, oh yeah, okay, that's great. And then somebody else presents and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a wonderful idea. We really need to implement that, blah, blah, blah. And they will come and say, well, we heard you. We thought that was great, but the response isn't the same. And it's those little things. It's those little microaggressions that happen that other people aren't aware of and you can't know it until it happens to you. And so it's, it's very difficult to be in that space. Do you have kids by chance? I do. Do you have a son? I have a seven or 16 year old son, yes. So describe for someone what his life is like. Well, for my son, because he's so removed from it, he doesn't even get it when I talk to him. So I have to say to him, like, when you go out, you make sure you're behaving. Don't, you know, don't do A, B, and C. For example, he was going down to his friend's house, which is literally down the street. I could throw a rock at this person's house. He want, I'm looking out the window. He, him and his friend are carrying like a 32 inch TV, not in a box, just under his arm, two little black boys walking down the street with a 32 inch TV. And I had to call and say, hey, you can't do that. 
he did not understand why he couldn't do that. But because of my experience, because of what I know, because of the currency of his skin, I know that that could have potentially been a bad situation. And so I have to, I constantly have to remind him, I don't want you to know that there's a difference, but there's a difference. You cannot walk in the world like other people. You have to be aware. You have to be hypervigilant. Like the conversations that African-Americans often have with their sons when they're driving. If you ever get pulled over the, by, by the police, you put your hands on the dashboard, you, you keep your hands in sight at all times. You don't reach for anything until they tell you, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you're respectful. So for us, that's a normal conversation. I was having a conversation with a counterpart that was Caucasian and I was explaining this. He had no clue what I was talking about. Nobody ever had that conversation with him and he never thought that he would need to have that conversation with his sons because it wasn't his experience. That doesn't happen for him and his family. So there's a, a very big divide here and things that we have to teach our children that not necessarily everybody else does if we want them to be safe. And even then, as you can see, that doesn't guarantee their safety. And the fact that you even have to have these conversations, isn't that just automatically putting anxiety on, on a kid? Because now they have one more thing they have to think about when their you know, Caucasian counterparts don't. Right. It, it does. And that's the thing that I worry about with our, our children with this pandemic and remote learning and not having graduations and universities being closed down, they already have a lot of anxiety. You don't wanna add that extra layer, but you do want them to make it home. You do want them to use common sense. You do want them to be on guard when they're out in the world, particularly with racism on the rise. We can't anticipate what another person will do with their belief system. So we have to be proactive with our coping and you know, carefully pick and choose our people, places, and situations so that we can be safe. Mental health and mental health counseling is sort of a taboo subject in African-American communities. We're trying to bring it into the light. We're trying to tell people it's okay. Can you talk about like turning it into an illness like diabetes or, you know, heart disease? This is not something they necessarily have control over. Right. And so in some cases, like, let's be fair, we all have a mental health issue. At some point in time, we all experience depression. Uh, we all experience anxiety. If we lose someone, we experience grief. Those are all mental health issues. So that's the, the lower end of it. But when it comes to a point where you're not getting out of bed, you're not giving any self-care, you're not reaching out to your family, you're not doing the things that you normally like to do, your anxiety is lo level is at an all-time high where you don't even want to leave your home. Those are issues. And if you've tried in holistic ways to manage it, such as prayer and your coping skills and music and journaling and meditation, if you've tried those things and there still seems to be an issue and the sadness won't go away, that always cues me that maybe this is a chemical imbalance. And with that, you're not in control. With that, you probably need medications to help stabilize your mood. And so for most of, you know, we're not pill pushers. We're not here to put everybody on medication because that's not the case for everybody. But when it is the case, it is our job 
to keep that person informed that these are your options. So just because we talk about medications doesn't mean you're obligated to take them. But I always feel like if we truly want to master something, if we want to make it through something, we have to be informed. And I want my clients to have informed, uh, be able to make informed decisions. So with that, yes, sometimes it's a chemical imbalance. If we have bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, those aren't things that you have control over. Those are chemical imbalances that require medication so that you can have a functioning life. A lot of people are afraid to go see a counselor or a psychiatrist because they simply don't know what's going to happen. They think, you know, you're going to mess with their heads. Walk me through what... What is a session like? For me, what a session is like is I always introduce myself. I let them know of the confidentiality that this is confidential unless, you know, you're going to hurt. You tell me you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. And even then, I'm just going to ask you more questions. And the caveat there is sometimes you can say, like, I don't want to live anymore or I feel suicidal. But when you ask somebody, I've learned to ask is it that you really want to die or is it that you don't want to feel like this anymore? And most people, they don't want to die. They don't want to feel like this anymore. So we go from there into, and I will start with, you start where you need to start. What is it that you'd like for me to know? What brings you here today? We don't need to go back to age two on the playground unless you want to. We can start from how your day was today. And then we go from there because in therapy, it is a relationship. We have to build rapport. I don't expect them to trust me in session one. You don't know me. So I wanna give my clients the opportunity to get to know me, know who I am, how I operate. I want to create that space of comfort for them. I want them to feel like, yes, I can come and see Dr. Childs and say what I need to say, vent, she's gonna take care of me and she's gonna give me good information. Because my goal, and I will tell people, my goal is that not that you come here forever. My goal is that you come until you get what you need to go back out in the world and function. It does you no good to be here with me for 20 years. That's not a quality of life. Do you find that people of color may, may have a fear that there's going to be judgment? I encounter that stigma with all races that have come through my office of the stigma of not wanting to talk about it, not wanting people to think they're crazy and all the other derogatory terms that society has used to describe somebody with mental health issues, which makes us a little leery. We don't wanna be judged. At our core, we are social creatures and we do care what other people think. But I like to put in the frame of mind that the three most important people in my life are me, myself, and I. If I take care of those three people, I can take care of everybody else because I've poured into myself. I've taken care of my mental health. I did my meditations. I prayed, I journaled, I exercised, I got out in nature. I filled up my cup so that when my husband, my kids, my friends, my clients need it, I have it to give. So I encourage people to fill up their cup by prioritizing themselves first. Self-care is not selfish. It's just good self-care. I always say self-care is survival. Absolutely. How do we convince men? You know, I, I think women are more likely to listen because we're just naturally more likely to want to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. But 
a lot of men have have these issues and they have no one to talk to. You know, it's not something they don't want to show weakness. So how do you make it okay for an African-American or Hispanic man? I would like to think women would respect them more Mm -hmm. if they admitted they needed help. Right. And so honestly, I actually, the males that I work with are pretty awesome. Like I I don't have that problem. I've had a few where it, it took a minute, but what it really was, was letting them know that this was okay. I am not judging you. This is your space. This is your journey. I'm along for the ride. So you tell me what you need. And when I do that, then the ball's in their court. They have that control. They can say, okay, well, you know, sometimes I get mad at my friends and they don't like it. Well, what happens when they don't like it? How do you feel when they don't like it? And then they'll say, well, what do you think you could do better? Like, how did you want to handle that better? What would that look like for you? So in turn, having them come up with their own solutions to this problem that they can think about later. And then I just give them positive affirmations. So for my females, I have what I call an empowered women's packet. And it's a bunch of positive affirmations, mantras, prayers, whatever they need to remind them of their female energy, their female power. I also made one for my men your male power, that alpha male, do what you need to do. You don't always have to be an alpha male all the time. So pick and choose your situations where you can use that energy. And we just learn how to direct the energy to where it needs to go so that the people who count on them can have that space. What can people do today? Like they're having those feelings um, and they're not to the point yet where they're ready to go reach out to a friend. Again, we're social creatures. Reach out to somebody you trust, okay? A friend, a parent, a significant other, your pastor, reach out to somebody you trust to start the conversation. And it doesn't have to be hard. It can simply start with, I feel sad, or I feel a little bit worried, or I feel like I need somebody to talk to. And then just go from there and start doing that. And if it becomes heavier, then certainly reach out to a mental health professional. That's what we're here for. And we're not here to judge. And so what the person who's helping that person can do is listen. A lot of times we go into fix it mode because we don't want to see our friend, our husband, our son, our child, brother, sister. We don't want to see them hurt. So the first thing, and I even do it. First thing is like, oh my gosh, how can I fix this? Slow it down a little bit. Maybe they don't need you to fix. Sometimes they just need you to listen. And that's the easiest thing you can do. And it's active listening. So it's making sure you heard what they said, the eye contact, the nodding of the head. Okay. And giving them that space. And when there's the break saying, is it okay if I say, you know, whatever I need to say, but letting them run how it goes, but just knowing that you don't have to fix it because that can instill anxiety in the person who's listening. If I, if I just tell you, please just listen, I don't need you to fix it. Just, I just need to vent. Just be that sounding board. Sometimes we just need somebody to be there that we can kind of lean on figuratively and literally to just lean on that other person to know we're not alone. Listening is priceless. It is priceless. And it is also part of communication. Communication isn't always talking. Sometimes it's our body language. It's listening. It's sitting still. It's being present with that other person. That's communication. Unplugging. Yes. How how valuable 
is unplugging in in the in the world we live in for for those those in in uh, communities of color. It is extremely important. Um, the news can be overwhelming, um, and for some of us who are news news heads, we have CNN or whatever playing in the background twenty four seven. That's not good for us. Like as I, I want people to be well-informed, but not over-informed. We have to give our minds a break from that. So with that, I would say watch the news a couple of times a day at noon and then 11, you know, but only a couple of times. And in between time, watch something thinkless. Watch something you enjoy watching. Watch something that doesn't cause you to have to think about solutions. Watch something that is just a gut-busting laughter feel film for yourself. Um, go outside. The weather's nice now. We can still social distance and do that. Go for a walk. Sit on your patio, porch, deck. Do whatever it is you need to do to change your surroundings. Because a lot of people for working from home there's no separation of work and home, it's all one place. So we need to build in, we need to build in those separations. So if you have a work spot at home, when you're done working, close that door, close that space, do not return to it until your designated work hours and go enjoy the rest of your home and be in peace and take that hat off. So just being able to sit and do nothing to sit and be with yourself. We should all be able to afford ourselves an hour a day of me time. An hour a day of just being with yourself, being with your higher power, being in nature, music, all of the things that will lift you, all of the things that will decrease your anxiety and bring you in a better headspace, things that ground you. There is no way in health you want to be Googling just anywhere. So Dr. Child shared a couple of websites you can use to find a therapist that fits your needs. I'll also link them in the description of this podcast. But you can also go to like Psychology Today and look up African-American therapists and it will pull up African-American therapists for you. Um, there's also a site, I believe it's called blacktherapist.com. And so there's a list of African-American therapists and I believe that you can choose from your area where you are, okay? But there are, we have a, a lot of African-American therapists in the greater Cleveland area that are ready to serve. Follow me at Monica Robbins on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And like my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC, to learn about upcoming podcasts and health news. You can also stay up to date with WKYC.com, as well as the WKYC social pages and YouTube channel. Take a minute for yourself, and remember, self-care isn't selfish or a spa day. It's survival. Have a healthy week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.